You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode number 14 of That One Time on Tour is brought to you by the band Havoc Faction. Havoc Faction is a brand new concept band from Los Angeles, California. Their influences range from bands like Thrice and Senses Fail to Starset and the Deftones. They have a vigilante comic book theme that they utilize in their music and videos as well as their live performances. This is the first single off of their new EP, Welcome to the Fight. It's entitled Dark Passenger, and you're hearing it exclusively here on that one time on tour. This is the only place that you can check it out. Uh, if you want to follow them on Instagram, it is at Havoc underscore faction. That is H-A-V-O-C underscore F-A-C-T-I-O-N. Or you can check them out on Facebook forward slash Havoc Faction. So here it is, Havoc Faction, with their single off of their new EP, Welcome to the Fight, Dark Passenger.
Hey, this is Dewey from the Peer Pleasure Podcast, and you're listening to that one time on tour with Chris Swinney. Hello and welcome to episode number 14 of that one time on tour. As always, I am your host, Chris Swinney. Uh, We're back this week with a really cool episode. I had a lot of fun doing this episode. My guest this week is Mr. Dewey Halpas. Dewey played in the band Anatomy of a Ghost. Uh, He also was a touring musician, uh, guitarist for Portugal the Man, And uh, Dewey hosts an amazing podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. It's on Jabberjaw Media. It is called the Peer Pleasure Podcast. And he gets some amazing guests. And he's just an all-around great guy. And uh, I really appreciate him coming on the show. So I've got that coming up for you guys. Before that, we got to do a little bit of business. Um, We have this new thing called the TOTOT Hotline. It is a number you can call. You can leave me suggestions for guests. You can leave me a tour story of your own. You can tell me jokes. You can say you hate me. Whatever you want to do, you have to do it. I'm going to put some of these up on a future episode. Uh, So you want to call 1-765-372-8818. That is 1-765-372-8818. That is the TOTOT hotline. So uh, leave me some love, leave me some hate, uh, and maybe you'll end up on a future episode. Also, we had a cool sponsor at the beginning of the episode, Havoc Faction. I wanted to give another shout out to Kyle from Havoc Faction. He does uh, Living Album Art, which is another sponsor of ours. And he just did a really cool animated thing for the show. So check that out on our Instagram, on our Facebook. Speaking of which, if you want to go to those and like us or follow us, on all of the social media platforms, it's TOTOT Podcast. Uh, if you want to email me about maybe being a sponsor for the show or if you just want to talk or whatever, hit me up at TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and that's it. So I want to get into this episode now. Uh, it's it's not a super long episode, but it's it's right around an hour. But uh, Dewey and I had a really good time. He gave me some some pointers, you know, after we got off the phone uh, about doing podcasts and whatnot. And he's a big inspiration to me. Uh, Dewey and Shane from Silverstein, he's got a podcast called Lead Singer Syndrome. And just all the podcasts that kind of got me into doing this. So I want to give props up to these guys, kind of mentoring me and helping me along with with this podcast. So I'm very excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Dewey Halpas right here on that one time on tour. Hey, Dewey, what's going on, man? Hey, how you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. I'd like to really thank you so much for coming on the show. It means a lot to me. Oh, absolutely, dude. Anytime. I was I was uh, honored to be asked. Well, uh, before we get into like everything, like because we've played a couple shows together. I mean, we sort of know each other through different channels. But I would really like to. Uh, I always have my guests kind of go back. I think your story is going to be pretty interesting since you know you grew up in Alaska. What got you into music? Like, what was your first memory? Like, you know, what what kind of flipped the switch for you? Well, that's a that's a good question because there's a there's a couple different in, instances. As far as the first, um, I don't really 
remember the first um i grew up i grew up in alaska and i grew up in a mormon household so <clears throat> we always had you know church on sundays and so there was always like this um in the mormon church they call it primary and that's where kids go and and uh, when the adults are going to their classes or whatever and you sing songs and all that stuff so i mean I was aware of music for a long time, and my parents always had a record collection um, that, of course, I wasn't able to use when I was really little. Um, but my dad, he had a – it was an island called Petersburg in Alaska, and he had a, a radio show that he did, like a volunteer thing. Um, he recorded on Thursdays, and it came out on Fridays. So after we had dinner on Thursday nights, him and I would roll over to the radio station, and – I had a hard time keeping quiet while he was recording. So he would always kind of like, you know, kind of give me to be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And I couldn't do it. And so he's like, you know what, just go in the other room. So I go into the room and it's literally just records everywhere and cassettes and a, and a uh, turntable. So I literally just sat there and listened to all the records that looked like they were cool. And that's where I discovered, you know, like pop music and, uh, it was a lot of pop music and then some rock and roll, nothing too heavy. Yeah. It was like a, you know, a local radio station, but I remember listening to Wilson Phillips <laughs> and, uh, hold on just man. like, yeah, exactly. I'd listen to it like over and over again. This, this melody just hooked me and that's like, it's a great song, uh, man. I mean, it's, it's funny that we were laughing, but that's, that's a really good song. Yeah, it is. It's a great song. And, uh, you know, and then that, that Christmas, um, I got a CD player when they first came out, um, and got my first three CDs were Paul Abdul, um, MC Hammer, and Michael Jackson. Wow! So I got like uh, a really big dose of pop music in the face again, and uh, yeah, that was that was the start. Did you uh, were you doing anything musically? Like, did your parents make you play piano or anything? Like, my parents made me do violin, and that's kind of where I led to doing the guitar. But like, what was your background as far as playing music? Well, I wish I wish they made me play music when I was younger. Um, none of my family, well, my brother plays drums now, but none of my family played music. So um, we, my mom, for some reason, started going to garage sales all the time and buying musical instruments and just putting them on a wall. Wow. And uh I kind of pulled down a bass guitar and started learning um learning on that. I think it was a a couple like a Stone Temple Pilots record or something I was trying to learn uh the songs off of on bass uh, until uh I met my buddies Joe and Nick Simon um who were in anatomy as well and and uh we basically came over with the first couple Green Day records and the first Weezer record, and we just started jamming on guitar after that. So, um, and I played trumpet um, in the band, okay. like high school band. So, or, excuse me, middle school band. Middle so, school band. So, when you guys got together and you were listening to like Weezer and Green Day, that's like kind of the catalyst for Anatomy of a Ghost getting together. Like that was kind of hey, we can we can do this, right? Uh, it was it was the catalyst for Nice Guy Eddie, the band okay. before that, to get together and just basically rip off Green Day and Blink One Eighty Two and Operation Ivy and Anti Flag, and um, that's where the whole like uh, rock into punk rock started for me. Um, was was that moment? Those couple CDs that Joe brought over, I was like, check this out. So. <laughs> 
So how were you finding out about, like you mentioned, Anti-Flag and Operation Ivy? I mean, I know just growing up in the Midwest, in Indiana, it took me a while to kind of find those underground bands. I can imagine living in Alaska on an island. Like, was it hard for you to find out about those kind of bands? Uh, it was. It was, well, we had, so at that point, at that point, I wasn't on the island anymore. I had moved up to the mainland, Wasilla, um, right outside of Anchorage. So we had record stores and stuff up there, but there was only a couple. There's Mammoth Music. Um, and I forget the name of the one in our actual town. We'd always go to Anchorage and we'd look at what album covers looked cool. And that was kind of the way we would, I mean, this looks like anti-flag die for the government. Of course I look at it and I was like, holy shit, like that is, what is this? Yeah. You know? And, and, uh, it turned out to be one of our favorite records of all time. Um, but I mean, we had mail order as well. And that was, yeah. we were basically each had a catalog and we each pick a couple things and then we'd share it. That's cool. So that's kind of how we got into that lookout records and the old, like, you know, Bay area punk scene, shit like that. So was there any sort of pushback from your parents? I mean, you said you grew up in a Mormon household from like listening to bands like anti-flag or any of the stuff that the secular stuff that was maybe pushed the envelope a little bit. Uh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was, it was weird. Like the first few, things that really pushed the envelope for that I had um smashed by the offspring which my mom read the lyrics in an airport and threw it in the trash <laughs> um and then my dad I had Dr. Dre's The Chronic and my dad just saw the disc itself and threw it away wow. um but he was pretty he was my dad was pretty cool with music so eventually by the time we were into that I mean I was 13 14 years old I think he kind of resigned to the fact that I was going to listen to what I wanted to listen to yeah. um so he would just question me like why do you have that flag upside down in your shirt? What's that mean? <laughs> and I was like, I don't really know. I just knew it was rebelling. And yeah, yeah. anyway, that was, uh, that was when he, I started playing music and he got more excited that I was playing music and in a band, um, than censoring what I was listening to. Like he was more like encouraging at that point. Well, that's cool. So you guys are doing nice guy, Eddie. Uh, did you play shows as that band as well? Or was that just kind of like a little project to get started? No, we played, we were around for a long time, like I think 13, 14 till uh, 18 when we wow. moved down uh, from Alaska. And we played, we opened for Bad Religion up at the Egan Center in, in Anchorage. Um, we did shows, I mean, all over the place up there. We'd always have to rent someplace, um, like a rec center or something. Um, the one venue that was up there at the time, it was all ages, called Gigs. Um, we played a few times and it got torn down. So that point is basically like totally DIY. Hey, can we rent your rec center for this punk show? And they would either agree or disagree, and and uh, that would that would get the show going. So that's kind of what led you to Portland, correct? Like, what time did you guys actually move to Portland? Uh, November of two thousand. Uh, November of two thousand, we moved to Portland. Okay. We had some friends that moved down first, and. Portland at the time was cheaper than Seattle, so we decided to go there where we could camp out basically with some friends for a month while we got a place. And then uh, we knew that's what we wanted to do. Like, we left girlfriends, we left everything behind in Alaska um, to do this. And we were just determined to do it. And and we literally, I mean, every day we, we got a house that had a decent practice space in it. And just every day before or after work, uh, we worked different schedules we would, you know, practice and just write and, or come home from work and look what I, look what I wrote, like check this out. And that was, that was a really cool time, like a really creative time for us. Did you guys do like, uh, 
by this time it is anatomy of a ghost, right? Or was it still nice guy Eddie? Uh, at this point, yeah, it was, it was, uh, there was a brief time. It was a new hope. Okay. Um, and then Joe and Nick. So at this time I was singing, um, we had some of the songs from the anatomy first anatomy record, uh, done. And I was singing, Joe was on, uh, guitar, Zach was on bass and Nick was on drums. And then, uh, Joe and Nick went home for Christmas and, met up with Johnny Gorley, uh, who we all knew up in Alaska. And he, Johnny was always doing his own thing, uh, writing stuff. It sounded a lot like, like taking back Sunday kind of stuff. Um, and he was still figuring out his voice and things like that. So they recorded, uh, the song since yesterday, which is on the first anatomy record. And they brought it back down with him and said, Hey, we, what do you think about having John sing for us? And I was like, cool, let's do it. Um, because, I, I mean, I liked his voice, and I enjoyed singing, but I also wanted to be able to do more on guitar. Yeah. So, um, and I hated writing lyrics and stuff like that at that point. And so I was like, yeah, let's try it. And then that's literally what happened. I mean, it just went from there. He moved down, and uh, there it was. So what was the what was the process like? You guys are in Portland. You're working jobs. You're living in a house. You're writing songs. Are, are you playing shows all the time? Is it kind of a once-in-a-while thing? Are you doing any touring? What's going on? Well, with anatomy, it was fairly quick. I mean, things started, basically what happened was when John moved down, um, he was 100% focused on building the band, and we were all working trying to pay rent. So we kind of came to the decision that let's keep Johnny here at home, writing songs, uh, getting on AOL Instant Messenger and talking to people. Um, at that point, mp3.com was getting big, and yeah. we started like blowing up on there. Um, so we were kind of riding that out and trying to get where we could from that. Um, and so John would literally all day have like 30 messenger boxes open, just talking to people and then writing music while we're working. We were working at Walmart, I think all of us at one point in time. Um, and that was, yeah, that was when things started happening. We were playing shows, uh, like pay to play shows where you had to sell tickets and stuff, yeah. uh, for a little while. And then we started getting, our own shows, um, playing like, you know, basements of pizza shops and things like that. Um, which we'd done before in the past up in Alaska, of course. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, we, we started playing shows and, and, uh, playing the actual anatomy songs. We basically would do, um, like five songs of me singing and then three with John. And then that would flip as we wrote more songs with John incorporating him in. And then, uh, at that point, he kind of took over writing a lot of the music, which was also nice because he, he's one of those guys who can see something finished before he starts it. That's cool. I could never do that. I'd have to just like bash my way through it. So I'm the same. I'm uh, the same way, man. Like when I'm writing a song, I, I just start playing stuff, and like uh, eventually it becomes a song. I can never like <laughs> see the finished product, you know? Yeah. So you got yeah, you guys true. are in Portland. You're you're doing your thing. Uh, now you guys were on Rise and Fearless, or was it one or the other? Uh, it was it was both. We basically uh, once Rise got interested uh, in anatomy, we played a show at the Paris Theater, um, which was like it's, 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 it was a theater that was known for a lot of like sleazy stuff going down. So we hated playing there. It was kind of the only place that would have us at the time. So we played a show there. Craig was into it and. He's like, you know, I want to see you guys again. And he watched us at this place called The Blackbird and then mentioned that he wanted to put out a record. 
And so we're like, cool. I mean, that's amazing. Right on. So we, he's like, I have a guy, Chris Crummett, that I work with. Um, at the time, Chris hadn't done very much. And so I think he paid him a really small fee to record a record really fast. And uh, he's like, you know, I've never recouped a record. Like, I'm just kind of, the label's kind of going, you know, uh, in the hole. But we're like, dude, we're going to tour on this thing. We're going to do whatever we can. I mean, we worked this far, or worked this hard to get this far. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And anyway, so before the record came out, Fearless actually bought the record from Rise. So there's a Rise version okay. uh, that came out and in one pressing, and then Fearless bought all the rights and everything else, and then uh, Fearless wanted to sign us. So we got in like this little, uh, not a bidding war, but it was kind of this thing between, uh, we had small offers from Equal Vision and a couple others, and then Fearless basically offered us the most money and bought us a van for free, <laughs> like non-recoup. Wow. So... We're like, you're going to buy us a brand new van so we can tour, and you're also going to give us, you know, this much of a budget. And they're like, yeah. And we're like, all right, we'll do it, which was not the right decision. Oh, yeah? Um, looking back, 100%, 110% would have gone with Equal Vision just because, you know, Dan Sanshaw, you know, really loved the band, and we all loved him, and he just treated us like family. We just kind of, our manager at the time and everything else got stars in our eyes like, wow, we got all this money yeah. and a van where where Equal Vision was like, hey, we can get you an Atticus van to tour in and borrow and, you know, this much money. And, yeah, in the end, I think Equal Vision, I, we probably would still be a band if we signed with Equal Vision. Yeah, I don't want to, like, you know, talk shit about Fearless, but, like, I was playing in Brazil, actually, when you and I met. and. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, they they were good to us, but there there was definitely some things that that maybe needed to be done. I think they were concentrating a lot on. I mean, it's what labels do all the time. They concentrate on the bands that are making them money. Yeah, and we were yeah. kind of one of those bands, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fearless. I mean, and it was nothing against Fearless either. I mean, Fearless was fine. It's just they didn't. I don't think they supported the band the way Equal Vision would have. Yeah. Um, you know, like they. They, we sent them the new demos for the new record, and they really just hated it. But I don't think they realized it was just a lot of parts put together. I mean, because those demos became the first Portugal the Man record, wow. which they then loved and, and everything else, which is awesome because they were good parts. It was just kind of a, it was kind of a sketchbook, not a demo. Yeah. And uh, things like that were just starting to build up where we're like, we can't get you know, can't get a hold of this person or, or you know, it was a lot less of a family atmosphere than EBR would have. So you were so. talking about Portugal, the man that's kind of after anatomy kind of called it quits that, that kind of came out of the ashes of that. Is that how that happened? Kind of it. It was something John wanted to do. Um, as things were tanking with anatomy, like it was, that was also really fast. It was basically Nick came up to me. Uh, we were wandering around some town somewhere and he kind of, Hey, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, hey, I just, I'm not going to tour after this tour. Like, I'm I'm done. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I want to get a real job and just, you know, be at home. And, and uh, so then right after that, uh, Joe, same thing. Him and John didn't get along very well. And John and I didn't get along very well at that time. We were a lot younger. And uh, John actually asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to do Portugal the Man with Zach and I? And I was like, no. I, I was angry because I was like, no, you guys are breaking up the band. Like, why do I want to do that shit? And uh, so my younger self, of course, was like, fuck you. And 
so they're like, all right, so the band's over. Um, and then Fearless was like, well, you're in breach of contract, you're breaking up. Um, you know, uh, then we just didn't really know what to do. So Portugal was an idea that John and Zach had earlier on, and it was going to be like an acoustic side project with like beats and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he talked about in the van, like he was very clear on what he wanted to do. Um, and when we, we broke up, we kind of hit the ground running. So I started the burning room, uh, cause I like playing more aggressive music live and they started Portugal, man. We actually played our first shows at the same gig, uh, upstairs and downstairs at the same time. Um, it was called awesome fest and yeah, burning room was playing upstairs. Portugal was playing downstairs. And so we literally like scrambled, got bands together at the same time to keep going. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Portugal was was really I mean, I don't think John knew I knew he knew what he wanted, but I don't think he had it yet when they started and so they kind of morphed a few times before that first record came out. And I remember hearing the record uh with live instruments and everything else, which then everything really hit me like this is this is going to be great. Yeah, I just remember and, uh, when I when I was playing with Brazil, I remember the first like when I met you, I think it was called Meow Meow in Portland. We're, yep, we were yep. with we were playing with Emory. We're on that Emory tour. I think you guys played, or you came out of the show, or something. But then I remember the next time we went west, we ended up playing a show with Portugal. And I uh, always I always knew there was like a parallel between the two bands, but it took me like years to actually figure out what was going on. <laughs> yeah, they don't really talk about Anatomy of a Ghost in interviews. It kind of it they kind of go off. Uh, we moved down from Alaska and started Portugal the Math. Which is fine. I mean, it's it confuses things, you know, when you're on that scale now, where people, you know, know, you know, what they want to want to hear about, you know. So, like, it's I totally understand that part. Well, and the funny thing was, like, I mean, it's it's kind of serendipitous that you and I are speaking right now because a couple years back, uh, I was living in Gulf Shores, Alabama. I was a artist relations guy for the Hangout Music Festival. And uh, uh, Portugal was playing and I hadn't seen Zach in like 15 years or whatever. So I went over, he, they were one of the bands I was taking care of. So I started talking to Zach and we realized that we knew each other and we'd played shows together and we actually talked about anatomy of the ghost. And we, I think we even talked about you because it was just, it was very, very strange. So now, you know, full circle, I'm on, I'm talking to you on a podcast about it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, and I could not, the success that they have had, it could not happen to a better group of people and people that have worked harder than any band I've ever seen. I mean, they have, I mean, these guys would have survived in the SST era, like punk days oh, yeah. where, you know, you're scraping by eating dog food and shit. Like they would have done it. Like, it, I mean, and that's the thing, like they've worked so hard. It's just incredible to see the distance they've gone, you know? Um, you know, every day. I mean, they were just posted a picture with Quincy Jones the other day. That's like, crazy. God, what is happening? This is amazing. Like it's it's excitement on my end for them because they. I mean, yeah. Anytime I get to see them and and or they're playing Portland and I'll go out to a show and I just look out at the crowd. I'm just like, man, this is insane. And I just see in my eyes, I just see all the work that went into it. And it's you know now they can they can't even relax now. They're so busy to enjoy it. I mean, I, I'm sure they don't even remember half the stuff that happens to them now. So you ended up there like after that kind of touring with them as a guitarist, correct? Yes. They got some, uh, I was playing with the burning room. We were, had some time off from touring and John called me up. He's like, Hey, we got a couple shows offered with 
Dredge in Santa Cruz. Um, they're both sold out. Do you want to play? We want to do another guitar player. I was like, yeah, sure. So I came over and learned the set and then uh, drove down with them. And at that point, Nick from Anatomy was actually playing keyboards and alternate per- uh, alternate percussion for them. Um, so it was nice back with him. And we did those shows, and I just kind of stuck on for a couple of years, um, touring with like you know Poison the Well and and a bunch of other bands, and then doing Europe. Um, and yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. That was right when the that was when Church Mouth came out, and which was the second record. And things, I mean, they were blowing up in Europe, so that was a blast. That tour was crazy, um, as far as like the treatment and stuff versus American touring. But yeah, they uh, uh, they were starting to get bigger in America, but man, Germany was where it was at. Man, <laughs> Germany is pretty awesome. I don't, think, I don't think I've ever had a bad show over there. Dude, yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So uh, I guess we'll talk about touring a little bit before we jump. I do want to talk to you about the Pure Pleasure podcast. I'm a huge fan. But um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about, since this is that one time on tour, I kind of want to, you know, when you were over there with them in Europe and kind of doing a lot of stuff over there, did you, you know, are there any good stories, anything you'd like to, like that kind of comes to mind that happened to you over there? Oh man, so many things. So many I mean, things. <laughs> there's that's, a, that's the hardest part about uh, touring and and having. I mean, there's so many stories that unless you're talking about it and it comes up, like it's hard to. It's hard to recall on the through. spot. Yeah, exactly. But like, there's things I was talking to my daughter the other day about this, where like the last night in Germany, we played the show and we had booked a room at a hostel so we could shower and stuff. Um, before we got on the plane and we show up in the hostels and you like closed down, like locked down. It was, it was, it, I mean, there's people in there, but it was locked down, couldn't get in. And John had to scale the, the side of the building and break, break into a window <laughs> to get us in there to shower just so we could do that before we got on our flight home. Like, um, there was a, um, we were in Austria and <laughs> we went to this restaurant. Like we had walked through the city and we, uh, Innsbruck, Austria. We, we walked through the city, get to this restaurant. They closed the restaurant down uh, for us to eat there. And I was like, this is crazy. And they're like, yeah, whatever you want, order it. So everyone orders like this massive, like grill master menu where they do all the meats and stuff. And then uh, I order like a salmon or something like that, like something crazy. And then, uh, it started to pour down rain. We're literally a mile from the venue. And the tour manager was like, Hey, he was our European tour manager. I just met him this tour. And, uh, the rep from the venue was there and they're like, Oh, hold on. We'll, we'll take care of this. We're like, well, we'll just walk back. It's not a big deal. They're like, no, 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 no. Just finish your food, finish our food. And literally four black Mercedes pull up in a row. Drivers get out with umbrellas, open the doors and we all get our own, basically shuttle back to the venue. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's crazy. It was crazy. It was like that episode of, uh, of Louie where he, he calls all those cars for the kids when the bus breaks down. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Cause, Cause he's filthy rich. Well, this was the same idea. And it was like, dude, I've never felt like a rock star in my life until that point. Like it was, it was, uh, surreal. But uh, those those are kind of the the weirdest things that happen. I remember when the Ataris. I talk about this tour a lot on this podcast because it was a life changing tour. But we spent two weeks in South Africa, and when we got there, like at the airport in Johannesburg, we did this thing called a diplomatic walk, where they have like military police 
and like some diplomat like guy that takes you through the airport and you cut in front of everybody in customs and then they <laughs> they put you in they put you in this like crazy vehicle like I felt like I was in the Beatles or something it was insane that's crazy yeah and they call it that like the I didn't know what they were saying like our tour manager and the lady that actually set it all up from this company called Authentic Ideas uh, she like told me before we were going to get there, we were in London and we were flying and she said, Oh, when you get here, don't worry about anything. Just have your passport. We're going to do a diplomatic walk. And I'm like, well, what the hell is a diplomatic walk? <laughs> we found out when we got there and it was pretty crazy. People like taking pictures of us at the airport and they didn't know who we were. They just knew that we were doing a diplomatic walk and I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see it. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. I've never, and I see, I never got to go to those places. Like it was always like Europe or America, Canada, Mexico, like the, I wouldn't say generic, but it's, you know, it, none of the really adventurous places. I mean, it was always pretty safe. South Africa is pretty cool. Like we played some places that were a little bit different, but like in like Cape town and, and Johannesburg, it's pretty much like you're playing orange County. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not what you would expect it to be. We did see some things and got to play some smaller places, but I mean, it's uh. Yeah, you're not. I mean, you're missing a lot because it's an amazing country. But as far as playing gigs go, it wasn't that much different. Yeah, that's one thing with touring is you don't ever see what you want to see long enough, and yeah. you never. I mean, it's always through a window. I mean, the one thing that was cool about going to Europe for me was that I kind of, I tend to like overthink things and kind of go into like deep thought sometimes, and I was kind of going down that road and I was thinking that, you know, I've never been here before. Everywhere I go is new. I've never been there. I go in that bathroom. I've never been there. I go in, you know, this room. I've never been, I go on this stage. I've never been there in, in America. I was starting to recognize Chevron bathrooms that I used two weeks earlier. Like it was <laughs> yeah. that, that jaded. And uh, so it was cool because literally every step I took was new. You know, I was sitting on the Berlin wall talking to my dad on the phone, telling him I couldn't, like he's like, did you see the wall, the remainder of the wall? And I was like, no, I haven't found it anywhere. I was literally sitting on it, wow, and had no idea until we pulled out of the venue. The tour manager's like, oh, there's a little bit of the Berlin Wall, and I was like, oh my god! I called my dad back on a calling card, of course, um, and yeah, it was just shit like that. We, <laughs> we get perspective from it, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot more access now, I think, with the podcast than I ever did on tour, as far as crazy shit going on and like. Uh, yeah, traveling and and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was it was awesome. It was a good time. I mean, touring touring was cool, and uh, I'm glad I did it and did it as long as I did. And and uh, now I kind of have more perspective and don't have any what ifs, which is really a, a freeing kind of feeling uh, with anything I do because that was my dream at the time. It's not anymore, but yeah. I did it. And, uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand that because I mean, I feel, I feel exactly what you're saying and I'm, I'm, I totally relate to it because, you know, we'll get a little bit further into this now. You and I are both fathers. Yeah. And I mean, it, it kind of changed you a little bit. That's, that's one reason why, I mean, I guess we'll just go right into it. Cause I, I want to tell you, you, your podcast is a big reason why I started this podcast. And I use, I was playing in this cover band down South. I was doing a corporate job, but then on the weekends I'd go play with this reggae band and when, yeah. you, when you get done with a gig after like three sets, the last thing you want to do on your drive home is listening to music. So I got into podcasts pretty heavily and I got into your podcast and, you know, it just kind of, I don't know. I was like, man, I want this creative outlet. I'm not playing music, 
like that I want to play. Like I'm not writing music. I'm not touring. I don't have that lifestyle I used to have. Now it's all about family and kind of being a dad and everything. And so the podcast from listening to you talk to these people, I thought, I know a lot of cool people. That'd be really cool. And and it feels like a creative outlet. Is that what it felt like for you? That's exactly. And I'll tell you this, this is funny because (laughs) you say this because uh, the first I didn't know really what podcasts were, and I did. I knew I used to listen to. I had a corporate job for a little while, um, and now I'm in construction, which is way less corporate and total. I mean, total freedom. It's awesome. But um, my corporate job, I was driving to work every morning. I listened to the Adam Carolla show, and then he got fired or whatever from national radio. And he's like, "Well, whatever. I'm going to go into podcasting." I was like, "What is that?" And I never listened to it again. Like I never, I never checked it out. Anyways. So I started hearing more and more about it, and then I was working. I was building an uh, apartment uh, tower in uh, downtown Portland, and I was like, man, I, I could probably get away with listening to talk radio versus music because um, they, they tend to not want you to listen to that stuff because if there's an emergency and they're calling for someone to get, like, evacuate the building, you won't hear them. So I put my cell phone on, and then I found um, – I don't remember what I searched for – but I found my Carreras podcast, and it was the first guest that I listened to was with Chris Rowe from the Atari. Wow. And, uh, Serendipity, and, man. Everything's connected. Yeah, him and Chris talking on the phone. I was like, wow. My first thought was, wow, the audio quality is horrible yeah. uh, on the phone call. And it was because I think Chris was doing something at the time. But, yeah, it, it, so – and Chris Chris and I met – we did Warp Tour 2003, I think, with the Ataris. Yeah. Um so we'd met before and, and I was familiar with the band and they used to do like a, a barbecue uh, every couple nights, like where the Ataris would pay for it and uh, like have a big bash and everyone would, you know, circle the buses and everyone have a good time. Um, and anyway, so I was stoked to listen to that interview because I didn't know what he was up to at that point. And then I went into, and I listened to hundred words or less with Ray um, and then Shane's show, uh, lead singer syndrome. I love Shane's show I started as well, listening yeah. to that. But the cool thing was when I, I went home and I was talking to my wife, I was like, I could do that. Like I, I had the same conversation know. with my wife too. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't have to tour. I don't have to. And I, I know a lot of people and I, and I, there's a lot of people I would love to spend an hour with and ask them what I want to ask them, uh, versus listening to an interview. Yeah. And She's like, well, you should go for it. And I was, so I emailed Shane and Ray. I didn't, I didn't know either of them before this. And they both literally wrote me back the same night. And we're like, hey, man, you should totally do this. So like, okay, cool. It's doable. And so I literally like reached out to 20 or 25 people that I thought were interesting and, and or I already knew. And then everyone except for one came back, yes. So then I was like, well, shit, now I got to record 25 interviews and I don't even have gear. Yeah. So, and then I realized, Hey, I'm always on the other side of the board. I don't even know how to record. I don't know how to mix. I don't know any of that stuff. I would just show up and play. So I had to like, you know, YouTube video, YouTube video on how to use GarageBand and how, you know, what microphones were good and then try to figure that out. So that was, yeah. Anyways, but it was, it was all like something creative to do. Uh, takes, you know, a couple hours a week and it's turned into something that's been awesome and a lot of fun and, and afforded a lot of opportunities. So, um, I'm extremely lucky on that, 
on that end. Well, and I just, I don't know if like my, my, my podcast, I, I kind of molded it after yours and Shane's kind of, it's not kind of like a Frankenstein, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, it's been great for me too. And I mean, it's kind of all due to you and Shane and the guys that I listen to because, I mean, I, I had a radio job out of college and I'm not saying my voice is great or anything, but I can turn it on if I have to kind of that fake radio thing. But, uh, and so, and I've, you know, I went to trade school and I got certified in pro tools. I've always been a sound guy and like a, and a recording engineer. So I had that side of it kind of figured out, but I don't know. My thing was I couldn't figure out how to record the phone call. (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Then I finally like, oh, I've got this recorder and I can just get this eighth inch to quarter inch and blah, blah, blah. So I figured it out. But yeah, it was just uh, my my own experience. I mean, I'm not, you know, you guys, have you've been doing it for a while. Shane's been doing it for a while. I've only been doing it for like three or four months, but the response has been crazy. And yeah, I'm nobody. I was a guy that was in a couple bands that kind of did something like I, but I've had some good guests, but what I've really kind of figured out and I, you figured it out as well, because I listen to people on your show that I've never even heard of before. You kind of have to be personal and let people kind of into your life as well, because you, I'm not even saying you have to get fans, but you have to, they have to like you as well as the guests, because if you have a guest, you know, like I had, Eddie from taking back Sunday, who's a buddy of mine. And that episode blew up like crazy. But then the next week I had another friend of mine that played drums for the Ataris and it wasn't quite as good. So I don't think a lot of those people come back unless they really like the host. Do you agree with that? Uh, I agree with it quite a bit. And, and the, the whole thing with the, the podcasting, especially when it's like music based where you're, you know, interviewing musicians, it's, it's kind of skewed. I mean, you look at it like, oh, holy shit, Ian McKay's coming on the show. It's going to be huge. Sure, it does well, but it's probably not going to be your biggest episode unless you, you know, they like who you are, like yeah. you're saying. But to, the the ultimate goal is to be able to go interview the person you just saw at the open mic that no one's ever heard of, and that does just as well as, you know, Billy Joe from Green Day or whatever, you know, yeah. where you have a listenership that listens because it's your show, not because of who you have on. They want to hear the conversation, the stories. I mean, because that guy at the open mic may have way cooler stories than, you know, uh dude from Iron Maiden. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, I taught, I, for the longest time, I was trying to get the biggest guests I could find and, and could get access to, which was surprisingly easy. Um you know, talking to some of these people that are, you know, multi-platinum rock stars yeah. where the publicist is just like, uh, oh yeah, uh, just call them on their cell. Here it is. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. Okay. So if I go through my phone, it's like, oh God, I hope I don't lose this phone because I'm exposed. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's just so funny how easy access is, um, you know, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Like I could have, I mean, my, my three biggest episodes, uh, are Anthony green. Um, the first time I had him on from circa Johnny Whitney from the blood brothers and Daryl from Glassjaw. The Daryl episode was awesome, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate that. And that brings me to another point too, on, on the Daryl episode, which I'll get to, but the, the interesting part was Anthony of course was big because he has tons of, of fan. He's got like this, really interesting uh like indie celebrity kind of thing where anything he touches like people are drawn to yeah um which he's very charismatic i've known anthony for a long time and uh that's why he came on the show because he knew who i was he didn't do a lot of podcasts at the time he's like yeah man like colin said you know you got a show let's do it 
Um, and it was really just candid and two buddies talking. Johnny was requested a bunch of times through my email, and I was like, man, I don't even know if I get a hold of him. So I reached out to him through Instagram, I think, or something like that, and he wrote back. He's like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. So we did it. And then in the beginning, he's like, yeah, I've never done a podcast before. And I was like, really? Anyway, so that blew up because there's no podcast interviews with Johnny Whitney. Wow. And uh, so that was big because of that. And then Daryl has never really done a long-form interview. I, I didn't think like, that I had ever really tour. heard anything. Like I even, I remember being on Warp Tour with one of my other bands back in the day when Glassjaw was on there, and all the other people are always at the press tent, and I've never seen, I've never heard him talk other than just on stage. Yeah, yeah. and he, I mean, that's where it started with him and I was Warp Tour, and we became friends on there. And I, I literally emailed him. I was like, hey, you know, I'm starting the show. Do you want to come on it? And literally a year went by with no response. Wow. And then out of nowhere, he wrote back. He's like, dude, I am the worst. There is no excuse for not writing back. He's like, I've been moving, had a kid, blah, blah, blah. But your email just got lost in the shuffle. I found it. Uh, let's do it. And so when we're talking, you know, afterwards, um, when the interview is over, we're, you know, he's just like, yeah, I've never really do these kind of things. I'm kind of excited. Like we talked about my childhood and stuff like things that people don't know about. Yeah. I was like, that's the whole point. Like we just had a conversation. There's no, I mean, there was notes, but I didn't use them. Like I never do. Uh, unless it's an emergency, like it's awful and I have nowhere to go. <laughs> I have notes on uh, you and I haven't used any of them yet. So <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the beauty of it. I mean, it's, you do your due diligence to get the, you know, just in case. Always but, over prepare. That's my motto, you know? Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so that's like the three biggest episodes. And I've had people commercially that are 20 times bigger than that. Any of those guys put together that do, you know, not even close. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a really kind of a, um, an interesting medium. And the other thing is, so I was gonna, not to keep rambling about this stuff, but. No, I, I love Moore, it, man. I, I want to hear about this. I don't get to talk to anybody about podcasts. Well, well, Jay Moore, like I would, I would listen. So, like, I've got my two, my number one spot for guests that I've always wanted to have on the show since I started the show are two people. One of them I am, am interviewing on Wednesday, which I'm incredibly uh, thankful and terrified for, which I'm not going <laughs> to mention on the recording yet. Okay. Um, Maybe tell me when we're is. when we're off. The other, I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> okay. The other one is uh, is Henry Rollins, and he's turned me down twice. Well, dude, that's mine, and he's turned me down twice as well. <clears throat> yeah, he turned me down once specifically. Like, uh, that was stupid. I reached out to him before I'd even started the podcast. So I was like, dude, Hank, uh, you know, because we'd emailed like bands back and forth with each other when yeah. he had his radio show. Um, and I told him, you know, and he's like, well, it's a show day. I don't do stuff on show days. Um, you know, shot me down. And then the second time his manager shot me down. Uh, so like, fine, I'll wait, I'll wait some time and, and come back. Um, so I interviewed all his friends. Yeah, I interviewed Kira. Like I saw that you did. That's why I thought I'm going to reach out to Kira because I was friends with her on Facebook. I'm like, Dewey did it. Maybe she'll do mine. <laughs> yeah. So this time, I mean, and I kind of, I, I jazzed up too. I was like, Hey, uh, Hank, dude, I've done Ian, you know, I've done Jim, your guitar player. I've done, you know, Kira, Keith Morris, you know, all these people and, and still got shut down. So I was like, all right, that's fine. But, uh, anyways, so like, I don't, I, my whole train of thought just went out of my head, but well, here, let um, me, let me tell you something about Hank. Then <laughs> we'll call him okay. Hank. We'll call him Hank. Like we're buddies. Um, 
So, you know, I was playing in the Ataris and we, the big song, the biggest song that they ever had, the band ever had was Boys of Summer. And they changed yeah. the lyric from Deadhead sticker on a Cadillac to Black Flag sticker. Yeah. So, so, you know, we played this, I can't remember if it was a festival or what it was, but it was in, it was in Texas somewhere. And Henry was there and like, I got to meet him and introduce myself and, and he'd heard the band cause you go, oh, you guys changed that, that, that lyric to black flag. And we got talking and he was cool. And so like every year after that, he gave me his email, which is not a big deal. It's on the internet everywhere, but yeah. he gave me his email. So every year from then on, I would always invite him to Christmas at my family's house on for, like over email. And he would always <laughs> po- politely decline like, Oh, I'm going to be in Southeast Asia or, Oh, I'm going to be doing this. So yeah, I've, I've hit him up a couple of times and I always get a response and it's always like, sorry, man, super busy. Maybe sometime down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Or du- duly noted. <laughs> duly noted. Yes. Yes. You know, yeah. at, at least he gets yeah. back to us. I mean, that's the, that's the cool thing, but sure. And that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally great. And I, it's just going to be this golden goose of a, of a thing that I'm going to chase for years, I'm sure. And it'll eventually happen, I hope. And, and, uh, then we can spend the whole time talking about how long it took to, to get it together and, and all yeah. the, the ins and outs of trying to, you know, get access with stuff. I mean, yeah, Hank's easy to get a hold of, but other people aren't. And that's one thing where, you know, uh, I like the research part of it. I like, uh, I like the chase kind of where it's, you know, I don't, uh, there's a few publicists I really enjoy working with. Um, a lot of, when I first started, everyone's like, Oh, publicists are the worst. And I really had no idea what they did at the time. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've made friends with, with quite a few and there's a, f- a few of them that I really admire and, and go to when I, when I have questions or, you know, will help me out with something. Um, and I mean, they're extremely valuable, you know, uh, commodity as far as, as far as the team goes for the artist. Uh, but a lot of times it's easier to chase the artist down through your own, uh, connections and then just reach out to them on email or whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah, let's do it tomorrow. That, that's how it's been for me. Like I, I've got some publicists that I'm going to contact down the road, but so far it's just been people that I still have their phone numbers from a chance meeting, or I still have like, you know, their friends with me on Facebook and it's, it's been fairly productive that way. So, I mean, yeah, eventually I'm going to get to the publicist thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that happened with Kurt Ballou from Converge where I was, I reached out to, to Mike and I was like, Hey man, yeah, you know, you know, Kurt from, converge of course because he's had bands that recorded with them and you know the darkest hour guys and they're all buddies and uh so he introduced me through email and kurt's like yeah how about tomorrow at 9 a.m i was like <laughs> oh shit okay uh i haven't prepared anything yeah he's like yeah i'm on tour i've got a day off and let's do it I'm like okay so yeah it was it, sometimes it happens that way sometimes it's like you know get back to me in six months or three months and it's like okay so i put it in my calendar and get back to him so Cool. Well, I'll tell you what, man, uh, we're at 46 minutes. I don't want to take a bunch of your time, but I do have some questions that were sent in by some of my listeners, if you wouldn't mind answering them. Oh, of course, man. Okay, so uh, Freddie from North Carolina wants to know, what band does your theme song for the Pure Pleasure podcast? Okay, so that, that I get that a lot, and uh, there's two of them. The, the first, I think, 50 episodes uh, was a song called Delta Mike Zulu by a band called Pause. Um, There's a band called the Young Turks, a hardcore band. Uh, They were on Animal Style Records, I think. Um, And uh, Matt played uh, bass in Broadway Calls. Anyways, uh, he's a singer for this band Pause, which is basically the 
uh, punk version of Young Turks is all the same members, and they never played a show, I don't think. Um, but I heard the demo, and I was like, man, this is an incredible song. I love the chord progression. And it was just like this warm kind of intro. Anyway, that, that's Delta Mike Zulu by a band called Pause. And if you, go, if you search Pause PDX on Bandcamp, you can find the demo um, and purchase it, listen to it, whatever. It might even be free. Um, that song's from that. And then the newest theme song for the show is uh, a song called Trans Am Sunday uh, by a band called Hobo Sexual from Seattle. It's They're, a great uh, song. Ben Harwood. Great song. Yes. Man. It's amazing. And, and, uh, Ben Harwood has been a guest on the show. Um, I forget what episode it was, but I, we went through all his publishing and everything was like, dude, can I use this song? for the mean, you know, the next while. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it's a ripper, man. That, the album's called monolith that, it, that it's off of. And it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible song. There's actually a really cool version of it on, uh, YouTube of them playing it live on KEXP. And that howl in the beginning is actually him screaming into his pickups. Um, it's, it's cool. If you're if you're nerding out on stuff, that's something you can do. Yeah, I I love that song. I mean, honestly, I'll tell you the story. I mean, I I could have told Freddie what's going on with this because I got my I played your podcast through iTunes on my computer and you Shazam to find out who it was. <laughs> because I was like, man, that song rips. And then I went on YouTube and there's like four or five things of them playing it live. I, and I'm like, wow, this is even better than the studio version. Yeah, yeah, I had. Um... Jess Margera on from CKY and I reached out to their manager um, who I've worked with a bunch in the past. Um, I was like, dude, I want to use disengage the simulator, uh, but like the demo version for the theme song. Cause I love that song. Yeah. And he's like, dude, uh, old CKY stuff really don't have a hand in it anymore. Now that, that uh, I think his name is Derek. I think he's not in the band anymore, but he wrote a lot of those songs. He's like, that could be a publishing nightmare. So I was like, okay, and I kept searching around, and then uh, Monica Speakeasy PR sent me the homosexual stuff, and I was like, I listened to that first song, I was just like, oh, God, here it is. <laughs> so anyways, long long story short, that's that's what it is. Cool. Trans Am Sunday. Cool, awesome. Well, I've got one more question uh, from Katie in Florida. She wants to know, and we've kind of already touched on this, so maybe we'll go the other route. Katie from Florida wants to know, living or dead, who's your dream guest to have on the Pure Pleasure podcast? I know you said right, Rollins, so maybe maybe someone else or maybe someone that's not living anymore. Man, yeah, the one, the the dream guest that's coming up on Wednesday, <laughs> I can't mention on the show yet, uh, okay. is, is one of them. But, uh, man, uh, there... Does it have to be music? <laughs> it, no, it doesn't have to be. Like that's what I like. I kind of pigeonholed my podcast, <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, pure pleasure, man. You can, yeah, you can talk to anybody. Okay, so this is gonna get weird, but uh, Jeremy Bentham, he's a philosopher. Um, he's a guy. So if you're an ISIS fan, not the terrorist group, <laughs> but the one of the best bands in the world. Yeah, the band, uh, the band ISIS. An album, wrote an album called Panopticon and it's basically the Panopticon is a prison idea that Jeremy Bentham came up with that has a circular prison with a tower in the middle with windows you cannot see into so they can have one guard on duty and everyone thinks they're being watched at the same time. So it's a theory that never got built, but he's got, when I was in college doing a bunch of philosophy stuff, we've studied him like crazy and he seems like a fascinating dude. Wow. And that's the first person that came to mind. Uh, but yeah, check it out. The Panopticon is an insane idea that 
probably would have worked really well, um, but never saw saw it uh, to fruition. So that's cool, man. Well, then thank you to my to my you know audience for those questions, and thank you for answering them, Dewey. Well, yeah, you bet. So, um, I guess what I want to say then is, I just I really appreciate everything that you've done, you know, for me, because you kind of got me into this man and it, it meant a lot to me. And, uh, now I'm having a little bit of my own success and it's, it's all kind of due to you and Shane and guys like that. So thank you very much, Dewey. Dude, you, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and anytime, man, I, anytime you want to chat or, or have questions, I mean, hit me up. That's what I went through the same thing. And, and everyone was really great to me and kept me, you know, motivated and, and, uh, inspired. And it's really cool to, hear that from you because it kind of comes full circle and, and feels good, man. Cool. So do you want to, you know, promote the podcast? Where can people find it? You know, is there anything else you've got going on right now that you want to let people know about? Uh, well, right now, I mean, right now we're doing podcast movement, uh, in Philly at the end of this month. Uh, we'll be out there, uh, all the Jabberjaw, well, some of the Jabberjaw family and myself will be out there. Uh, peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. Um, it's on all the socials. It's really easy to find. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of social media, so I do, I post, we you know who's coming on and random stuff, but I really don't push it very hard. Um, I'd rather people just find the show, um, you know, Apple podcasts or, uh, Adobe radio. It's on there every week. Um, that's why it comes out Saturdays at three is because that's when my airtime on Adobe is. So they wanted it to come out at the same time. So I just did it that way. So, um, Saturdays at three Pacific six Eastern. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about Adobe? Like what is a, that's an actual internet radio station, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's number four. Um, as far as the online radio, like up there with iHeartRadio and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's basically, it was music based, but now they're trying to reformat a little bit and be more talk. So a lot more podcasts are being on there and, uh, yeah, it's really a, a cool deal. So, I just get, I do a version of the show that's an hour long, um, split into three pieces. Uh, so basically to not cut out of the material, I just cut the original version at an hour. Um, and it, so the conversation just stops. And then, you know, at the end, it's like, Hey, if you want to listen to the full version, it's over at Apple podcast. And that's, if it goes over an hour, I've had a few that go over, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. Um, otherwise if I keep it pretty tight, I can get it into an hour and, and, and both versions are the same. Cool, man. Well, Hey, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, uh, I feel like I've got a, like a mentor. So thank you very much, man. Awesome. Chris. Yeah, dude. Anytime. Cool. Well, I will talk to you later and uh, everybody go check out pure pleasure. It's a great podcast and doing you're a great dude, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you later. All right. And there it was, my conversation with Mr. Dewey Halpas from Anatomy of a Ghost and the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Uh, Dewey was very gracious to come on the show, and uh, we actually talked a little bit after we stopped recording about you know the podcasts and everything, and, and he, he gave me some really good pointers, some good tips, so thank you so much, Dewey, for kind of being a mentor to me and inspiring me to get into this game, the podcast game. I'm having a good time at it, and uh, it's guys like Dewey and Shane told from lead singer syndrome and uh, a lot of other people that I listen to that got me kind of, I can do this, you know, I know some cool people. Let's, let's try it out. So uh, thank you once again to Dewey. Um, I'm going to play an anatomy of a ghost song that I really enjoy here at the end. Before that, I want to 
once again say thank you to Havoc Faction for sponsoring this episode. They're a great band. Kyle from Havoc Faction, thank you so much for for you know doing the animations that you did. Check out Living Album Art, that is his company, as well as Havoc Faction is his band. And um, make sure that you guys call the TOTOT hotline, which is 1-765-372-8818. That is 1-765-372-8818. Leave me some love, some hate, you know, whatever you want to do. I want to I want to interact more with you guys. Uh, make sure you're checking us out on all the social media platforms. It's TOTOT Podcast. If you want to be a sponsor, hit me up at TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, make sure that you're on iTunes, reviewing, subscribing, rating, you know, let us know what you think of the show. We've got a great episode coming up next week. I can't quite say who the, the, the guest is going to be yet because I've got two or three guys that are lined up, but it will be great. So please come back and check it out. But uh, once again, thank you guys very much. I appreciate all the support. So many international listeners, which is really cool to me. I'm a big geography geek. Uh, we actually have some listeners in Pakistan now. So if you're listening in Islamabad, Pakistan, uh, let me know, you know, hit me up, tell me, because it's really cool that we have listeners from all over the world. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to play a song that I really enjoy by Dewey's old band, Anatomy of a Ghost. The song is called Distress in the Control Tower, and we'll see you guys next week.
Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.